The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. And on round one, Sabrina Nanji with the Queen's Park Observer, journalist and co-founder of The Line, an online magazine, Matt Gurney, and John Burnside, Toronto City Councillor and TTC Chair. So one of our stories this morning, and this is the CBC headline, Toronto pumps the brakes on a bid to legalize e-scooters. They're putting that off, kicking that can down the road. Could you people at City Hall make a decision? John? Well, thanks for having me, Jerry. I'm really happy to be here, and good morning to you. Um, Well, no, look, at the end of the day, they want to do a pilot. The pilot's coming, but you need parameters. What kind of pilot project are you going to do? Well, I don't know, because I haven't seen the report yet. They're they're, uh, formulating it now. The problem is if we don't have the proper parameters and we just do some pilot where we haven't thought of how we're enforcing it, where we don't have enough people to enforce, the whole thing is going to fail. And And you would have me in here saying, you guys just went out on a limb you didn't plan and you know what are the people at City Hall doing so you have there has to be a proper process and I believe that report's coming out early in um, in the new year but the bigger issue actually is the province needs to step in uh, and actually have uh, provincial wide regulations for these things I believe the Highway Traffic Act still prohibits segways which were kind of the first e-scooters but I was talking to a group of guys on the weekend literally on the weekend they had the big helmets on they've got scooters that are go- they can go over 100 kilometers an hour You know, Matt, if only we had some experience with uh, licensing and registering vehicles. You know, I think the the actual failure here, and with all respect to the councillor, is if we're going to have pilot projects, and Toronto loves to have pilot projects, can we have a pilot project on getting a pilot project down to something we can do in a short frame of time? Because, Councillor, you're telling us that we might be ready to do this in the new year here. And it's funny. I I woke up early this morning, and I'm reading through my my newspapers, getting caught up, and I'm reading about the fact that Toronto is trying to replace the ferries. And I know this is a very different topic, but one of the problems we're having is that we can't even get the RFP out the door here. Process to do everything takes too long at City Hall. And even if you want to sell me on the merits of a pilot project, you have to sell me on the merits of a pilot project that can be pulled off in a reasonable amount of time. By the time Toronto has finished designing and then implementing a pilot project and then has reviewed the results and then the staff uh, committee has been able to look at the results and then made a recommendation to council, which then maybe votes on it, we're going to be beaming places because that's how long it takes to get anything done here. I don't object to the idea of a pilot. I object to the the fact that the pilots take too damn long. Sabrina? Yeah, I, I'm with Matt. I mean, with all due respect to the councillor, I think, you know, Toronto needs a pilot project on how to actually do pilot projects. Uh, like, when it comes to e-scooters, I mean, they're already on the streets, despite them being technically illegal. I see, still see them everywhere, and I, I don't know what the answer is, right? Like, I don't like them on the sidewalks. They're moving too fast. I don't like them on the roads either for safety. Maybe it's bike lanes is the solution. We definitely need some regulation and also some enforcement of this um, because it's a safety risk for everyone involved. All right. So um, there is a move, apparently. I don't know if you're going to have a pilot project over at Kensington or how that's going to go. But John Burnside, a pedestrian-friendly Kensington market. Is the idea to take traffic entirely out of Kensington market? 
Well, I think a lot of people would like to see that, and this isn't a, a subject that I've, you know, I'm back on council just in the fall, and this has been going on for quite some time. I think they're in the third uh, round of uh, consultation. Uh, but what it does highlight is the need, um, or the, the problem that goes on in the city, is that we we often have a lot of people from outside a given area telling uh, certain communities what they need to do to be better. Uh, in this case, they want to take cars out of Kensington. But the local businesses who actually uh, give the market its name as vibrancy and are essential to being there, basically most of them don't want to take uh, traffic out. So um, I think we need to listen to the local businesses as opposed to a lot of people who are outside looking in. Sabrina, do you spend a lot of time over there? I have not, but I've gone over to Tom's place a couple of times and a few things in Kensington Market, and I don't find it real car friendly. No, and it's not even super pedestrian friendly either right now, but I do love this idea. I mean, I don't drive in the city, uh, so, you know, I, I'm all for uh, pedestrian friendly zones, and I think Kensington's a perfect spot for it. Um, but, you know, to, to the councillor's point, I agree. I think that we need to make sure that the businesses at least have. Um, like the loading docks they need, uh, parking potentially. I mean, I do also think that if we could get it together on the TTC, a lot of folks would just be taking transit down there in an ideal world. But that that's, uh, you know, that's kind of like my pie in the sky vision for this area. But I, I do think, you know, to have it uh, be more pedestrian friendly, you know, sidewalk cafes, cafes in the street. I go there for, you know, a beer uh, and some, some good food after work, after Queens Park. So I'm all for this, but I do think, you know, we need to take businesses' concerns here. And I think there is like a happy medium. Do you think that medium exists, Matt? Um, I don't know how we strike the balance between people in a local community wanting their neighborhood to be this way and people in the broader sitting, uh, city wishing they had neighborhoods that they didn't live in that were a certain way. I mean, I think there's a lot of people in Toronto who like the idea of there being parts of the city that are car-free, that they want to have pedestrian paradises. Like, they want to live in that kind of a city. They don't necessarily want to live, though, in that kind of an area. And I think this is kind of one of those tensions here between the needs of the city and the needs of the community. But when the local residents and the local business owners want to allow, to continue to live in a certain way, and there is no pressing need other than the desires of people elsewhere in the community to, to have them live that way, I don't know. I think we got to go with the locals here. And I don't want to enable the NIMBYs, but this is not like opposing something that is going to benefit the entire city. This is opposing something the locals don't want benefited upon them. All right, now the Star reports school boards will soon be expected to do a lot more sharing from exactly what teachers are learning on professional development days to the number of students attending classes at least 90% of the time. It's Bill 98, the Better Schools and Students Outcome Act, which passed before the summer break. And Sabrina Nancy, you're with the Queen's Park Observer. You report on Queen's Park. What's your reaction to this? Yeah, I mean, this is just, you know, uh, something we knew was coming, as you mentioned, it passed before the summer, it's just coming into force now. And the parts that are coming into force now about transparency over, you know, professional development days, attendance, I think those are some of the less controversial parts of this. Um, what's significant to me is the timing of all of this and, and how it sort of came about, because don't forget, we are smack dab in the middle of rocky negotiations with uh, four of the main teachers unions were roughly a month out from school starting and i will say you know for both for for both sides now uh, at the negotiating table because they both seem to be pretty quiet i think that's a sign that negotiations are going well usually when they're uh, 
you know, making media statements. That's when things aren't going so well behind the scenes. But, you know, teachers unions aren't happy with this legislation. And so I think this this is kind of, uh, you know, salt in the wounds maybe of teachers unions that aren't happy with the Ford government to begin with. Um, and they're not happy about, you know, the lack of consultation on this bill. They said they were surprised about it. And, you know, beyond what's coming into force now, there's going to be a lot more oversight and a tightening of control over school boards. And I think the unions are worried because the province kind of has this carte blanche uh, over provincial priorities and, and school boards. They're worried this could, you know, undermine our public system, pave the way for more privatization. And so there's a lot of fear happening on the, on the teachers union side. But in terms of what we're talking about, these aspects now, transparency, I think, is a good thing. I have a hard time buying the uh, union's argument, Matt Gurney, because um, <laughs> you've always got to report to management. That's how organizations work. And whether the school boards are, or the uh, unions like it, management is the ministry. Yeah, I think the unions were really counting on your support, Jerry. They're going to be very disappointed to, to hear that. Um, Occasionally, look, I changed my mind. Yeah, I know. Uh, look, all kidding aside, um, I, I do think, and I think this is picking up um, uh, Sabrina's ball here and and uh, running with it a bit, I think this is obviously fits into the broader pattern of the relationship between the provincial government and the, uh, the teachers' unions, but also the school boards here. And I do think I have not always agreed with the government on its stand uh, with the teachers here, but I think on this one, I do. I, I think, Jerry, I, I think fundamentally, I, I'm pretty much with you on this one here. The government is fundamentally responsible for education. That is where the democratic accountability lies. And nothing that I'm seeing here is unreasonable. And I do 100% think, I want the teachers out there to understand, I know that this government has picked fights with you guys. I know that they have. I know that they have um, gone, gone to war with you guys for political reasons before. And if I thought this is what they were doing here, I would call them on it, but I really don't think that there is. One of the things we are terrible at in this province and in this country is data collection and then actually making smart policy decisions based on the data we have. We do need to fix that. This does seem like a move in that right direction. Yeah, so I mean, I guess, um, you know, you can love or hate this government uh, for many different reasons, but on this one, it's to me, it's like, if the system is as good as you say it is, then prove it. You know, and, and that's what they're asking. They're saying, how many kids are on track to graduate within five years? How many grade 10 students are aware of mental health supports? What are you doing on PD days? I think that level of transparency, and to Matt's point, if we actually show the data, um, I think if it's the system's as good as the, uh, the public school advocates say it is, that will actually help them. I don't know what they're afraid of on that level. All right, uh, John Burnside, I'm going to come right back to you here since you're the counselor here. Ontario court quashes Toronto City Council's $100,000 pledge to fight Quebec's Bill 21. I don't like Quebec's Bill 21, but it's not the job of Toronto City Council to uh, worry about what goes on in Quebec. And when you're crying poor to the federal government on uh, and the provincial government on several levels, it's silly to spend money in this way. Well, yeah, fair enough. This was a decision that council made. I was not on council at the time. Um, there are two things that I'll say about this. One is that when you don't have a, a roles and responsibilities of city council clearly defined, city council goes off in a lot of different directions. So, you know, when it comes to, well, we just, we've been talking about the, the refugee crisis and housing them. Um, you know, we, we've stepped in traditionally, but it's not our responsibility. So that's a bigger question of what is city council responsible for and then do it. And the, and the, the court is clearly defining what city council is responsible for. The other problem is when members uh, of council come out with these motions, 
to your point, you may totally disagree with the Quebec bill, but if you vote against it as a councillor, then that is uh, used against you in an upcoming election. So a lot of councillors say, well, hey, I support the, um, the, the direction you want to go. I don't support uh, putting money towards it, but if I don't vote in favour of putting money towards it, that will be used against me. Okay, Sabrina, I was going to respond man up, but what's your response? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Jerry. I think that this was actually more symbolic than anything else. Like, I'm not sure if cash-strapped Toronto should be spending money on this court fight. Um, but, you know, it's opposition to Bill 21, especially when some of our federal politicians have failed to call it out, speaks volumes. And I'm thinking, you know, Queen's Park did the same thing, where even Doug Ford, our premier, who has been on pretty friendly terms with Francois Legault, had kind of seen the writing on this wall, and the legislature passed a motion urging Quebec to repeal this political hot potato. And I remember conservative MPPs were wearing their religious symbols when speaking to it. I mean, including a kippah, a turban. Um, but that being said, it was just a motion. It's non-binding. It has no actual power. Um, and, you know, I think the courts uh, were right in saying that Toronto doesn't really have uh, much to do with uh, foreign, you know, to Toronto jurisdiction. And, and so I think it was more symbolic than anything else. I only have about 45 seconds here, but you're the TTC chair, John Burnside, and we understand you're going to be uh, slowing down uh, the number of trains that come by in the evening. Yeah, so I am the TTC chair for now. Uh, there's probably going to be a shakeup, so we'll see what happens there. But I actually just got off the phone with Rick Leary, and I and I cause, because I believe the opposite was true, and I am correct. And um, they're actually reducing the headway times uh, after hours on line one, which is the young the young line, to five minutes, and on line two to six minutes. So they're uh, actually things are getting better. Our ridership numbers are actually uh, hitting the targets we thought we're going to hit at the end of the year. Wait a minute, that story is not correct that the trains will be coming less often. That's what I was told. I've got, I'll show you the text. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. This is News Talk 1010.